everybody. Welcome back to This is the uh, Things Christians Want to Know podcast. I'm Nate Johnstone and Paul Anderson is here. And I'm smiling. Good. Happy to be here and hope you're happy to be listening. Hopefully. The, to put those two together and we got a good combination. Yeah. If you're not happy to be listening, maybe keep listening. <laughs> it, might, it, might, it might get better. <laughs> yes. um, so this series we decided to do on... Spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. which some people, when you say that, they have a pretty good idea what you're talking about. Other people maybe have no idea. Um, how would you summarize the concept of spiritual warfare, Paul? Several Bible verses. We wrestle not, Paul said, against flesh and blood. So that means that the enemy is not the pastor or the spouse or the teacher or the boss. Whoever it you're is, in conflict with. Yes, them. yes. Typically, we leave it with that and we fight and it doesn't go as well. But if we acknowledge that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities and powers, against the the forces of darkness, we are at war and it's not against human beings. And I'm beginning to preach now. Please, please preach that. I think we should preach that every Sunday between now and Election Day, because I think that's something that people forget. I, I didn't mention it this Sunday because I was sick, but the Sunday before I prepped Lent a little bit. So we're going into Lent soon. Good. Pray about, you know, whether or not you're supposed to fast something, give something up. And I told them that I'd, I was going to be fasting politics. I'm not going to read about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to try my best to avoid it altogether and go on a full politics detox mm-hmm. over Lent. And honestly, I think a lot of us should do that. So does that mean <laughs> that the people who are going to be listening to this will be listening to it during Lent or not necessarily? It really depends. Lent is long yeah. and it happens every year. It does. <laughs> but this, the spiritual warfare isn't a Lent specific topic, but I do think that reminder that we don't fight against flesh and blood. These days when we're doing political stuff and there's, you know, turmoil and this and that and this and that. And obviously if you listen to the news, we've never been more divided than we are now. But I've heard that for 20 straight years. So either we constantly get more divided or they just keep using the same lines over and over again. I'm not sure. I'm using it now. Um, But either way, if you listen to the media, if you listen to other people you talk to, mm-hmm. our enemies are other people and they can name those people for you. Mm-hmm. Depending on who you talk to, those people will be different. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's all bait that the enemy, which we will be talking about over the next couple of weeks, puts out there to try to get us to fall for. Absolutely. To get us to fight each other instead of coming together and do what God said, which is if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will turn and I will heal their land. That's a paraphrase. And so if that's what we want, if we want God to heal this nation, it's not going to be solved in public discourse and it's not going to be solved in physical fighting or rioting or any of that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in the political process. That's not what I'm saying. I feel felt like I was called to give up politics for Lent, but I'm not saying everybody should just become like certain groups have throughout time, like the Amish and others. I'm not saying we're supposed to separate ourselves from society, but I am saying that I think we take Satan's bait far too often and we it gets us to a place that is all soul and no spirit. Mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of Watchman Nee. I might talk about him later, but he talks a lot about soul versus spirit. He does. And not everything soul is evil, mm-hmm. but you have to keep in mind that it's it's soul. It's you. Yes. Um, yes. Good. 
I have another Bible verse. Please do. 2 Corinthians 10 says that though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Mm -hmm. Same thing we heard a minute ago. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And a little later, I'd like to share what strongholds are. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, listen to this, every thought captive to obey Christ. Mm -hmm. Love it. Every single thought has to be taken captive and made to obey Christ. Yeah. That's a lot of thoughts. And that's warfare. Yeah. That's warfare just in your own head. That's where where the battle is. If you think it's just in your mind, you're right. It's (laughs) in your mind. I I, I think it's true. And You know, we like to look for external enemies. And I think that really adds to the whole problem these days with blaming and demonizing other groups, other people. But I think that what this verse says is applicable to just about everything in that most of what goes wrong probably stems a lot from us and our own head, our own wrong way of thinking. Um, Preached on anger two weeks ago. And there's a verse in uh, Well, I missed a couple good sermons. You did, actually. You should listen to those. They're podcasted on LydiaHouseChurch.com. Wow. Not so shameless plug. Another (laughs) podcast that you should check out. So I did two topics I'd never really done before. And because anger is a pretty big topic, but I did it in terms of conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Peter says, where do quor- where do quarrels start? Don't they start from the selfishness that's within you? You're pointing at me. Now. I am pointing at you. So wow. your quarrel with somebody else, that guy out there, your quarrel with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that, St. Peter says, actually start with the selfishness in your own heart? Mm-hmm. And so he's telling us as the readers of this to check ourselves first. Does this problem start within us? Is it that we haven't been taking our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ? Instead, we let those thoughts bounce around about our neighbor. He probably intentionally d- doesn't mow his lawn like this. He probably intentionally lets his dog poop on my yard. He probably blah, blah. And we, if we don't take those thoughts captive and let him go, forgive our neighbor and live and let live, maybe think, wow, he must be really busy. Maybe I'll bring him a casserole, you know, something like that. It could turn out he's in ill health or their marriage is failing or something horrible. Sure. You don't know if you don't ask. Sure. But Good if you point, don't take mate. those kind of thoughts captive, you end up in conflict with somebody else mm-hmm. and that's your fault. Yeah. Not that he shouldn't tell his dog not to poop on your lawn. I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Mm-hmm. Or he shouldn't mow the lawn as the neighborhood requires. But you're responsible for your own responses, as you so often say, Paul. You're not responsible for what other people do, but you're responsible for your own responses. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the warfare that we perceive out there could actually be solved if we just spent a little more time in prayer and in letting the Holy Spirit renew our mind. I like what you're saying. I, I think that that makes it very practical because you can say spiritual warfare and you can just focus on something way out there in the stratosphere mm-hmm. and thinking this has little to do with me and my mental processes. Yeah. It has everything to do with you and your mental processes, according to 2 Corinthians 10. Absolutely. Every thought has to be corralled like a... I'm not a lover of cats. It may surprise you, but uh, every <laughs> stray cat for you. Yes, every stray cat. Some people will bring them in sure. and and uh, love them, and and that's like stray thoughts. Every thought I don't have to own, a thought that comes by about my neighbor that is sinister and dark, it probably doesn't reside in me. But if I Take it and lay hold on it and claim it and start feeling what that thought is saying. I'm doing a stupid thing. 
And it's going to affect how I respond to that neighbor. So we have to discipline our minds so that we reject some thoughts and don't let them come in and have a home in our brain. That's right. Because spiritual warfare starts with us. Yes. And yes, you know, and we can talk about big picture spiritual warfare and, you know, the church getting together to pray for whatever issue or your sister church in Uganda or whatever's going on. And that's all great, but it starts with you because you're one of the soldiers. That's a good place to begin. And if when you walk out of your house, you're already in conflict, then you're not going to be that much good in the fight. If you're already fighting yourself and your spouse and God and your neighbor (laughs) Mm -hmm. on your way to the prayer meeting, I feel like you should keep driving (laughs) and go somewhere by yourself (laughs) and spend some time dealing with it Mm -hmm. and come next week to the meeting when you could actually be really useful. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying you have to be perfect before you can show up and be used by God. Not at all. Look at the disciples. They were a bunch of losers. Okay. So all of us losers are in. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Hallelujah is right. But... When it comes to spiritual warfare, if you're going to try to fight the enemy, you, you got to be, you got to have all your weapons. You got to make sure they're well cleaned. You know how to use them and you're ready to fight. If you're distracted and fighting a bunch of other stuff, it's just, you're not going to be very effective. Wouldn't hurt at some point to look at those weapons. It wouldn't hurt at all. Yeah. I, I think, think I remember might, reading about them somewhere. Might even help. Well, I did something a few weeks ago at Lydia House and I put up four fingers. So I'm putting up four fingers now. And it's probably difficult for you who are listening to us can see the four fingers. Well, it's very difficult Nate, for them to see. Yeah. I can tell you that. You can see them, Nate. <laughs> yes. And, and you can tell them that I, in fact, am holding up four fingers. He, he is holding up four fingers. <laughs> and now the first one, I'm going to point at Nate. This is one work of the enemy to accuse. He is called the accuser of the brethren. So he comes at us or goes to God Mm -hmm. with Job. He argued with God about Job. He is pretty bold. He is. And so he is accusing us before the throne of God, or he's coming at us with dark thoughts about who we are, and he wants to make us feel guilty because the cross dealt with the guilt and shame of sin. He wants to undo that work by having us feel guilty. And so he comes at us and Mm -hmm. he points the finger. In Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren. So we need to be aware now. So I'm I'm going to give you four ways These are the primary ways that I'm aware of from Scripture. There are others, uh, but not as common. So that's a common one. He accuses as he points the finger. And when you say four ways in which the devil works, I assume you're not just talking about a personal being who is confined to space and time called Lucifer, Satan, the devil, but rather the kingdom of darkness as a whole. His whole army. Operates in this way. When When Satan was thrown out... Here is, here is the kind of authority that he had in heaven. He managed to take one-third of heaven with him. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of influence. He was, he was the day star. He was the, he was the hero. He was, Lucifer means light bearer. Mm-hmm. Lux in Latin, I think. So he, he was something, but it went to his head, and he thought he could be God, and he managed to take one-third. So that's a lot. That's a big army. He's got a big armor. So you're right. It's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing arm wrestling with Satan. Right. Nor is it just one guy running around with horns 
being sneaky. Yeah. Like we're talking about a at least a fairly organized. Yes. Yeah. And highly fairly. And highly motivated and insidious group of folks. That's right. Not folks, beings. Yeah. I, I, I like saying spiritual darkness because mm-hmm. that way people who are uncomfortable with concepts like personal demons or possession or anything like that, like most people will admit that spiritual darkness exists. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That way. And then we can do deliverance later. <laughs> hey. Okay. I'm holding up two fingers now, right? Okay. So this is the second one. The second one. And the second one is he lures, he tempts. So he's he's doing the Khmer I'm symbol come, with his come. fingers. Is there another you name for that? The, come come, come my here. way. The come here. In, Amer- in America it is. In Japan, you don't do this to come here. You do the, uh, upside down and you, what we would say, go away with all your fingers. That means come here in Japanese. Okay, I should know that, but I didn't. Good for you, Nate. I learned you, a few you've got them. a Japanese wife as well as I do. Yeah, okay. So so he lures us. Mm-hmm. He, he invites us. He, he makes sin look fun. Mm-hmm. And if we're in a place of weakness, we might give in to his temptation. Mm-hmm. He started with Christ. Christ in Matthew 4, we're told he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So they went, uh, it was hand-to-hand combat right from the start, Christ's ministry. And he threw it all at Jesus and failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. And came at Jesus in a time of weakness, like you were just saying. He had fasted for 40 days without eating any food. And as scripture even says, and he hungered. Yes. He was hungry, folks, uh, which is if you've ever fasted for more than one day, you know how hilarious that is. <laughs> of course he was hungry. He was starving. After that long without food, you you get a little loopy. I yeah. mean, f- just the f- physically speaking. Yeah, delusional. It's, maybe, it's yeah. difficult. And so prime opportunity for the devil to show up. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Nope. He came back in the garden, tried again, and Jesus sweat drops of blood, but he won. Mm-hmm. One big. So and that's so, and that's it's a great example of warfare. Jesus didn't, and we'll get to the, the my favorite verse, which is resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We'll get to that probably next week or the week after. But resist there is an active word. It means to stand against in battle, to fight. Yes. It does not mean to ignore. And I think most people's problems when it comes to spiritual warfare, whether you're talking about personal temptation or whatever it is, the problem is they tend to ignore Come on. as opposed to address. You have yeah. to fight. Yes. It's spiritual warfare, not spiritual peekaboo. It's not spiritual hide and seek. It's spiritual warfare. If you want to win, you pull out your sword and you hit it in the face. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. There's no other way to win than that. Resist is not a neutral word. Right. For some reason, people took the word resist and they just, they have this this picture of someone like standing there defending their two square feet of ground. But that's that's not what it means. It means stand against in battle. It's assuming yes. you're fighting an enemy and when all is left, you stand. That doesn't just mean you stand up. It means you fight. When it comes to temptation... I hear that all the time. People are like, no, I'm resisting the devil. I'm resisting the devil. How are you resisting the devil? I'm just not listening to him. I'm choosing not to listen. Okay. Usually though, what they mean is they're ignoring it. They're putting it out of their mind. Maybe they're trying to take their thoughts captive, like you were saying before. But in my mind, they're not doing enough. They're just basically trying to ignore it. And if a bee keeps flying around your head, it's eventually going to drive you nuts. And you're either going to swat it or it'll sting you or something. You got to deal with it. Yeah. We just have to remind ourselves, this is war. Yeah. It's not a picnic. And that's the real problem. We're not just having an enjoyable time. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Nobody wants to be in a war. No, no. We want to all just... It's serious stuff. Sit on the beach. I mean, didn't Jesus come and beat the devil? So why do we still have to fight anyway? Yeah. 
which is a whole another topic. <laughs> yeah, we, we're getting a lot of them here, a lot of good ones. So that's the second one. The first one was so, accused. Accusation, temptation. Temptation. Third is intimidation. Intimidation. He he wants to make us afraid. So now he's kind of clawing at me with his fingers. Like a lion. In fact, First Peter says he prowls about, and lions usually do that at night, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And his purpose is to make us afraid. And I think maybe a while back, I shared about how as a pastor at Trinity, there were times that I would go to homes because they were getting funny things happening at one o'clock in the morning, like creaking sounds and lights going on and off. And Roy Jones and I knew what was going on. And I always called him and he went with me because he had the gift of discernment. And we we dealt with those suckers. We... Mm-hmm. we uh, I anointed every door, every door in the house, and we set out, and it never, we never came back to a house a second time because we, we spoke. Because you dealt with it. Yeah, we dealt with it. You didn't tell him, oh, just ignore all that. Yeah, yeah, it was real. And that's the third. So Satan wants to make us afraid because when we're afraid, we do stupid things. Mm -hmm. We run. Elijah ran. He shouldn't have run from Jezebel. That wasn't the smart thing to do. Right. He ran. And when we get afraid, we uh, it's about ourself. You know, we, we try to hide or, or we, we say things that uh, aren't real battle words. Well, right. I mean, if, we, if we're making decisions based on fear, then by definition, we're not making those decisions out of faith. Exactly. And anything not done for Just faith is sin. the opposite, yeah. So if we're making decisions based on fear, that's a sin. Yeah. I don't mean a sin like murdering someone. I mean a sin like you did it wrong. That's the wrong thing to do. It's just not the correct thing. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Good call. Those three things are really crucial when combating fear. And scripture also says that perfect love casts out fear. And so God, who is perfect love, if he's in you, there's not fear there Mm because love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. And so if you're being really fearful, it means you let the fear in and God out. Mm-hmm. You have to love out. Mm-hmm. You need to get more of that love of God and focus on that because fear, well, fear's scary. Right? <laughs> fear demands your attention. That's all it, that's, that's its primary purpose is to tear, take your focus away from Jesus onto itself or yourself or your kid's health or whatever the focus might be. And that's, that's what it's been for me. I haven't, I haven't experienced at least not since college, maybe a little bit in seminary, that kind of direct demonic attack. I have some stories I could tell where I definitely had some experiences and one where I thought I might physically die or at least have a serious problem. Um, and I resisted it. I couldn't even pray. I'll just tell the story because you can't bring that up. Um, it's a two minute story. So walking to a prayer meeting, this is after Sarah and I were married, but we're still at um, college at St. Olaf, mm-hmm. walking up to campus. Um, and as I'm walking there, I'm just praying in tongues and just kind of preparing myself for this meeting we're going to. Um, and I started feeling oppressed. Like um, first spiritually, I couldn't really, all of a sudden my brain was scrambled and I couldn't really put any thoughts together other than this doesn't seem right. I wonder if, the, am I getting sick? Uh, and then I had the the sense that, no, this is demonic. Okay. That's easier to deal with than getting sick <laughs> to me anyway, because mm-hmm. Jesus just takes care of it. No problem. Um, don't even have to go to the grocery store to buy drugs. And so I just started praying against it, but pretty soon I couldn't even pray scriptures or anything anymore because my brain was so scrambled. It was really weird. It's one street. It was one street to get to school. You go all the way up St. Olaf Avenue and you're there. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember how to get there. Well, 
I'm like, which way am I going? Which way am I walking? I couldn't remember. And then it started getting physically oppressive, like pushing me into the ground. I had to stop and sit on the sidewalk a couple of times. Oh. Like it was trying to, something was on me trying to squeeze me flat into the ground. Oh. And I was like, oh, and I started crawling and some guy pulled over and he thought I was like stoned or something. And I don't remember the conversation other than that it happened. Um, and then I started getting shortness of breath and not being able to breathe. Like it was actually squishing my lungs to the point where I was going to die. And I remember being like, all right, Lord, I feel like this is a dumb way to die, but whatever. If I'm going to die, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. But so I kind of gave my life into Jesus's hands, if you want to put it that way. Um, and just prayed in tongues because I didn't, I couldn't do anything else. My mind didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I was just praying in tongues. And by the time I, I would actually be interested, I'd be interested to look at the legal property line of St. Olaf College, but it was almost exactly when I actually got to campus mm -hmm. that it started to lift. And then within a minute, it was every, everything was fine. Mom. And I actually felt great. <laughs> I felt like I just had a giant cup of coffee and, and or something. Um, but man, was it weird because I had never experienced anything nearly that intense. Yeah. I had read stories, but never experienced it. But um, so I have a couple of those experiences, but to me, they've been pretty rare. Yeah. To me, the far more common is the devil trying to make you afraid because one of your kids is sick and or what if they didn't don't get into the school you wanted to go to or oop, the stock market just fell a bazillion points. What's happening with your retirement account? Are you going to be able to retire? It's all those little fears. Mm -hmm. about day-to-day -day stuff that in my experience, a lot of people, they don't need any big things. They don't need big intimidation from the devil because they're so sidetracked by all those little everyday fears that he's already got them. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to work very hard. Yeah, true. So, so that's the third one. We've got accusation, yep. temptation, intimidation, or fear. And the fourth is the most common. And I'm putting my fingers over my eyes now. And the fourth is deception. Satan is uh, called a liar and the father of lies. So he, he's inventive. He invents lies. He invents sin. He can only sin. He's called a sinner in the Bible, and he can only sin. He can only tell lies. He cannot tell the truth. He doesn't speak the truth. And so he lies to us. And the earliest example in the Bible is where he lied to Eve. He said, did God actually say that you cannot eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, basically, that's right. We can't eat of it, nor can we touch it, which God did not say. Mm -hmm. So she's already feeling like, wow, he he's pretty uh, on edge, this God that uh, is keeping us from this good fruit. Pretty insecure. Yeah, why is he doing that? He's, he's manipulating us. He's, so Satan then said, you shall not die. Bold lie. Mm -hmm. God said, you will die. Satan says, you will not. So he deceives us with lies. And uh, when we talk about breaking strongholds, strongholds are built on lies that in our need or weakness or sense of pleasure, we buy into. And the only thing that will break them is the truth, truth mm -hmm. of God. So we have to come against the deception. He will deceive the whole world, it says in Revelation. The whole world will go after the beast. And isn't that interesting? He's called a beast. We praise the Lamb of God, Lamb, as opposed to the beast. The world will choose the beast over the lamb in total deception. So that's by far the most common work of the enemy. So 
There you got it. Four. Maybe we should. Let's start off uh, next week recapping that. Okay. Because I think that was good. Tune in next week. We're going to keep talking about spiritual warfare. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday. So tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.